So Pastor Harold is um, taking a little time away, and he is uh, with his son Luke, who is now living in Boston as he finishes up his PhD. And so uh, I got a text from Pastor this morning that said it was 28 degrees for his run. Woof, yeah, yeah, he doesn't have enough uh, body fat to, to, yeah, I could loan him a little, yep. So today, this weekend, today, today and tomorrow is what we observe as Christ the King weekend. And so our scripture today is from John 18, uh, starting in verse 33. Pilate went back into the palace and he summoned Jesus and asked, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, do you say this on your own or have others spoken to you about me? Pilate responded, I'm not a Jew, am I? Your nation and its chief priests handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus replied, my kingdom doesn't originate from this world. If it did, my guards would fight so that I wouldn't have been arrested by the Jewish leaders. My kingdom isn't here. So you are a king, Pilate said. And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. And I was born and came into the world for this reason to testify to the truth. Whoever accepts the truth listens to my voice. And this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So we do celebrate Christ the King weekend, and we probably don't talk about it a lot. I'm sure that there are many of you that have come from a liturgical church background. And then I'm sure there are some of you have, who know nothing about a liturgical calendar. But just for, for grins, um, I'm going to explain a little bit about the liturgical calendar, and then we'll get into some of the meat of Jesus as king. Now, the liturgical calendar is really what the church follows. And the beginning of the church year is the first weekend in Advent, and that's next weekend. So we start a whole new church calendar year next weekend. And so this being the last Sunday of this calendar year for the church, uh, we, rep we recognize talking about Jesus as our king and his, his kingdom, his, his authority. And as we prepare for Advent starting next week, it's really important to think about the things of Jesus and his kingship because Advent prepares us for Jesus' birth. And we have the time to look forward to that and prepare our hearts for that and, and look forward to Jesus being born. And so... Um, we, we take this time to prepare and reflect on that. So um, I know I'm confusing you, but I'm going to, I have to show this picture because it might be, I might be the only one that finds it funny that it's a liturgical colander <laughs> because we have the different colors of the church season. So, you know, that's about the only thing that's funny about liturgical stuff, but um, 
you know, we as United Methodists follow the liturgical calendar set by the church fathers. You know, it was part of a, the Catholic tradition, and then it was passed to the Anglicans and the Episcopalians and passed to the UMC and the Moravians and all these other denominations who observe the liturgical seasons of Advent, Lent, Easter, and so forth. So, um, there'll be a test on this in a little bit, but... but um, Here's the definition of liturgy. Liturgy is the customary public worship performed by a religious group, especially by Judeo-Christians. As a religious phenomenon, liturgy represents a communal response to and participation in the sacred through activities reflecting praise, thanksgiving, remembrance, supplication, or repentance. Do you all get all that? Um, for me, that really sounds like a bunch of big words. Um, it's rooted in the ancient church, is what we can say about liturgy and, and what the liturgical calendar, as opposed to the colander, does for us is really orders the seasons of worship into the key events of Jesus' life. Now, we use liturgy in public corporate worship. And you probably hear more of it on a Sunday morning where there's a more of a blended service, where you hear the Apostles' Creed. You may hear some responsive readings or uh, the, the very formal part of doing communion. And um, Sean can really tell you a whole lot more about this because I kind of call him a liturgical purist on the side. Um, I don't think he knows that, so don't tell him. But um, it's really his field. He, he, he studies it. He understands it. He knows how to apply um, all the truths and the key principles that we're supposed to learn. So it truly has a purpose to our worship. It has a purpose to the celebrations, and it has a purpose for our lives. And we celebrate these observations, but we don't talk about it and explain it to make sense. So, um, you know, here it is, we're on Christ the King weekend, and we hear about Jesus being our King a fair amount. We, we also hear Pastor Harold saying, he is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords a lot, don't we? And we know that's a common phrase when referring to Jesus. But to back it up a little bit, the people of Israel had asked for a king for centuries. And they had misconceived what kind of king they wanted. Now, if you have studied the scriptures, you know that in the Old Testament, which I'm going to pause right here because I want to say about my, my friend Dick Clark that the Old Testament is everything. That's what Dick would say. Am I right, Carol? He would say, the Old Testament is everything. And I love that because the Old Testament does explain why Jesus came and how we got to today. And so the, the people of Israel were continually looking for that earthly king. Now, it, people, these people as a whole are looking for something to follow and to worship. And when they were freed from Egypt, they built that golden calf while Moses was away. 
but they wanted something to focus on and to worship. And they created this calf, and no wonder God and Moses got angry because they were pushing God out of the place of who he is. They were pushing him out of being the one true God. And so idol worship can happen to any of us, any of us. And as soon as we think we have it all together, surprise, we don't. Because humans are fallible and we make mistakes and we have free will to choose. And so did the Israelites. So they chose the golden calf. But they also became very weary for their 40 years of traveling, even though God provided and provided and provided. They were still wanting a king. And so we, as people, put these things in place of our king, or we put people in the place of our King Jesus. And we can't do that. That is not how we're called to live. So from the time of the Hebrews being in the wilderness, they continued to ask for this, early, this earthly king. And when we see the whole spectrum from the Old Testament, from the period of the judges who God sent to try and help create justice in the land, well, that didn't work either. Because they didn't like the judges. They complained about the judges. And so God relented and gave them an earthly king. And King Saul entered the picture. And he was okay for a little while. And then he wasn't. And then King David was chosen to be his successor. And then we have Solomon. And we have on and on. And the truth is, is, None of these earthly kings would be able to stand up to the truth of God as the one true God and that the Messiah was coming. Now, granted, many of them pointed to the Messiah. David did. Solomon did until he kind of, the wheels fell off. But no human was going to be able to fulfill what God was doing. And we people are so demanding that we want what we want when we want it. And we don't like God's timing and plan because we want things right away. Now, I'm going to say something that might be a little touchy. But considering the history of God's people, it isn't surprising we try to make our presidents, our governors, our senators, people of fame like athletes or actors, we try to put them in a place of kingship, right? Seriously, we do this. And it may not even be conscious that we do this, but we tend to look for someone to lead us around. And so it's no wonder the Israelites kept asking for a king because that's what they wanted. They wanted somebody to lead them around and provide for all their needs and tell them what to do. They may grumble while they were doing it, but they still wanted to know that somebody was going to take care of them. So when Jesus comes into his time, people want to label him as a king. And he is a king. 
but not the king that you would expect. And we know he didn't have the lifestyle of a traditional king. Jesus and the public ministry he had was all about God's kingdom. The kingdom of God. You've heard it called the kingdom of God. You've heard it called the kingdom of heaven. Jesus showed us through his life, his actions, his work, that Israel's God was becoming king in a different way. Nobody expected this. Nobody expected it. Now, Jesus was in his three years of ministry on the earth was busy healing people and celebrating with them and teaching them. But the goal was to show people that God's kingdom is right here and now. God's kingdom is right here and now. But it is also in the now and not yet. We remember that Jesus taught us to pray for the kingdom to come here on earth. We just prayed that a few minutes ago. And why that is important is that Jesus, when Jesus comes to rule again on this earth, the new heaven and new earth will be formed. The old will have passed away. And to me, that's so exciting. It's so exciting to look for the day when Jesus returns and there is no more tears and sorrow and sadness. There's no brokenness. People are as we were designed to be. We will all have new bodies. And I can tell you after four months of dealing with a back injury, I'm ready for one. Um, but I don't know that they'll take this as a trade-in. Here's what Rick Warren has to say about Jesus as king. If Jesus is king in heaven, then the kingdom of God is in heaven. If Jesus is king, reign on earth, then the kingdom of heaven is on earth. If Jesus is king in my heart, then the kingdom of God is in me and all of you. I love, I love that wisdom because we talk about it and we've opened the door to the kingdom of God. But when we talked a, a couple of weeks ago, actually, at All Saints, we were talking about how uh, Jesus does take everyone to his own. We're all called to be his. And I think everybody's given that opportunity, even the 11th hour. They're given the opportunity to say yes. But Paul actually writes of Jesus' kingship in Colossians 1. And I think this is one of the most important um, passages that Paul wrote because it tells us about why Jesus has this authority. So um, from Colossians 1, starting in verse 15. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the one who is first over all creation. Because all things were created by him, 
both in the heavens and on the earth, the things that are visible and the things that are invisible, whether they are thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He existed before all things and all things are held together in him. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the one who is firstborn among the dead, so that he might occupy the first place in everything. And because all the fullness of God was pleased to live in him, and he reconciled all things to himself through him, whether things on earth or in the heavens, he brought peace through the blood of his cross. That's a lot in five short verses. And I'm going to encourage you to maybe go back and read that and think about that even during Advent, because as we're preparing for Jesus to be born, we're also preparing in a lot of ways for Jesus's second coming. And so these verses give us the footing to say everything was created by him. And for him. I think it's just beautiful. I love, I love that, that piece of scripture. It covers Jesus' authority. And we tend to gloss over sometimes Jesus as uh, the authority because we like the warm and fuzzy Jesus, right? We like warm and fuzzy the shepherd, our healer, our provider, our friend. It's easier to think of Jesus as really meek and mild and all the sweet things. But make no mistake, Jesus is king. He is the king of kings. There is nothing outside his reach. He tells his disciples, even right before he ascends, that all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, from Matthew 28. We have it over and over and over again that Jesus is our authority. Jesus is our king. And Jesus has it all covered. Our job is to love God and to love other people because of Jesus. And I always try to remember that God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, they're limitless. They have rule over all things, not some, but all things, all the people, all the heavenly beings, all the stars, all the flora and the fauna and all the animals, the list goes on. God is in control of all things. And his authority has no end, no expiration, no restrictions. And I think sometimes that's so overwhelming we can't process it all because that is a lot for us to realize that Jesus has our back. He's got it all. Now, I've got to wrap Thanksgiving in here somehow um, because we are right at Thanksgiving, but so I'm going to ask that we all ponder some questions, uh, as we approach the holiday and maybe 
as we begin this new season of Advent, that we, we kind of hang on to some of these thoughts and process them during the next few weeks. Do you recognize Jesus as your king above leaders, lords, and entities in your life? If not, what do you need to reevaluate to make Jesus king of your heart and your life? Are you able to recognize the authority of King Jesus in our lives and in our world and that we cannot rely on earthly leaders to direct our paths? And will you work to bring the kingdom of God into the here and now? Will you commit to praying through Advent, that you are able to see Jesus as our coming King in his birth, but also our resurrected King. We as followers of Jesus Christ have special privileges and blessings for following our King. The best being is that we are all royalty because we are sons and daughters of God. Let's pray. Holy God, we are so thankful for this season of Thanksgiving. And we are also thankful for the coming Advent season. We know we are set apart as your royal heirs, sons and daughters with your blessed son, Jesus. Prepare our hearts, our minds, and our souls for what you would have us learn through the worship, the scripture, and the liturgical season of Advent. We pray now for those sitting to our right and for those to our left who need to hear a fresh word from you this time of year. We know many have lost loved ones and the grief can feel overwhelming. And we pray words of hope and peace over them. May we, your children, feel your presence in our lives in a mighty way. And most of all, may we be grateful for you, our King, our Lord, and our Savior. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.